Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. The last three chapters of The Tombs of Ottawa, Ursula K. Le Guin's second Earthsea novel, focus on the escape of Tenar and Ged from first the Tombs of Ottawa and then Ottawa itself towards a open future that is kind of scary for Tenar and which Ged is trying to get them to come along on. It involves choices that Tenar makes to not be Arha any longer, the eaten one, but to be who she's becoming. And there's a lot of drama involved in this. And we can say that there's really three different escapes going on. One very localized, one a bit broader, having to do with the entire island of Atuan, and then the escape from the Kargish lands themselves to the archipelago or the inner lands as they are called by the Kargs. So the first escape really, you could say, begins at the moment where they decide that they're going to trust each other. Arha chooses to be Tenar and chooses to take on this story. And this, you know, involves some resources. There's a great passage where Ged says, you have knowledge, I have skill, meaning the skill of wizardry. We have the restored ring of Aerith Akpa, and we have this thing that built between us that we can call trust, although it goes by many names. Those are our resources, and we have to deal with the nameless ones. Ged is holding back the anger of the nameless ones. It's been draining him this entire time. It also restricts him from being able to do everything that a mage would, in fact, be able to do now that he has his staff back and they have to make their way through the labyrinth. Arha or Tenar knows the paths that they have to take, how to get there. Ged can hold back these nameless ones, the old powers of the earth, and use wizardry for other things as we're going to see. It's not clear what the ring is actually doing for them, but the trust thing is incredibly important. Now, they face Manan, the eunuch, and Ged ends up striking him with his staff, more or less out of surprise. Manan falls into the pit. He could have been somebody opposing this, in part because he doesn't want Arha, who he's the last person to actually call Tenar before Ged shows up. He loves her, and he doesn't want her to go, right? And then there's this progress to get to the trap door. And what we find is, here is the passage. They came to the passage beneath the hall, climbed the stairs, came to the last steps up and the trap door at their head. It was shut as she always left it. She pressed the spring that opened. It did not open. It's broken, she said. It's locked. He came up past her and put his back against the trap. It did not move. It's not locked, but held down by something heavy. Can you open it? Perhaps. I think she'll be waiting there. Has she men with her? Duby and Uato, maybe other wardens. Men cannot come here. Those are other eunuchs. Ged says, I can't make a spell of opening and hold off the people waiting up there and withstand the will of the darkness all at one time. We must try the other door then, the door in the rocks by which I came in. She knows it can't be opened from within. She knows, Arha says, or Tenar says, she let me try it once. Then she may discount it. Come, come, Tenor. So they, they go to it. And 
already the anger of the old powers of the earth is manifesting itself. There's a shaking that is going on. The stone steps hummed and shivered as if a great bowstring were being plucked in the depths of them. And he says, come, come. They know that we're here. And then he says, then let them know that we're here. And he makes great light within the undertomb and then bursts the door asunder and they, they get out. What happens after that? Well, the anger of the nameless ones manifests itself in the earthquake that destroys the tombs of Atawan. They're actually sliding down into the ground and Castle and her accomplices are no doubt killed in this and they manage to get away. She looked from the horror of the earthquake to the man beside her whose face she'd never seen by daylight. You held it back, she said, and her voice piped like the wind in a reed after that mighty bellowing and crying of the earth. You held back the earthquake, the anger of the dark. We must go on, he said. I am tired. I am cold. And so this leads us into the second thing, which is in the chapter 11, the Western mountains. They go up into the mountains. They don't have a lot of tools. They don't have food, but they do have each other. And actually, Tenar says, man, I wish we could stay here forever. And Gad says, well, if that's really, really what you want, we can, in fact, stay and they, they talk a while. Ged is trying to recover from all of the things that have been happening. And Ged says, let's walk. And they stop in a grove of trees. They divide a piece of bread and the last crumbling bit of cheese for breakfast and then went on. By evening, they were up high in the mountains. They camped in a valley of another stream where there was plenty of wood, built up a sturdy fire of logs. Tenar was happy. She'd found a squirrel's cache of nuts exposed by the fall of a hollow tree, a couple of pounds of fine walnuts and a smooth shelled kind that Ged called Ubir. She says, I wish we could stay here. I like this place. And Ged says, you know, I grew up in the mountains myself. And they talk some more and then they go down to, they travel over the, the mountains together and they travel to a village. Before that, Ged puts on a magical disguise for them. Why? Because Ged is a dark man and everybody on the Kargish Isles are lily white and they will know him for one of those evil sorcerers that they've heard of from the inner lands. And so he disguises them by magic as two peasants and they go to a village and, and Ged says, I think I'll ask for a bite of supper if I see a kindly face. They left the village next morning with full stomachs after a pleasant sleep in a hayloft. And he says, you know, I think hospitality is a very great thing. I also reciprocated, although we didn't tell them, of course, that I healed their goats who had infected udders. And then they go to a large town. As we find out, it's built of clay brick, walled around in the carcass fashion with overhanging battlements, watchtowers at the four corners and a single gate. They spend some time there and then they move on as well. So this is their second escape. They're trying to get to the place where Ged actually has his boat by the sea. The third escape is actually to get the boat into the waters and to sail away. And this is the most 
you could say most harrowing for Tenar because, you know, getting out of the tombs, she is dealing with an enemy in Castle and the nameless ones who she's, you know, essentially committed sacrilege against. That's a matter of life and death. The second escape, going through the mountains, going down through the village and the town to find Ged's boat, that is getting them to a point where something can happen. The third is leaving the island that she has never left, going somewhere new. Not only new, as in perhaps going to one of the other three Kargish islands, but leaving her entire culture, her people, her religion, all of that behind. Starting a new story with Ged, who she doesn't really know at the start of the chapter, chapter 12, whether she can, in fact, trust as she did in the tombs. And they come to a resolution and they manage to truly escape. And this escape is not only an escape from an island, not only an escape from a culture, it's an escape from the influence of these old powers of the earth, of her past, of the evil that she has, as Ged says, been a vessel for. And an escape not just from, but an escape towards, an escape into something new, offering greater possibilities for her and for Ged. And indeed, since she bears the ring, the restored ring of Aerith Ekba, for all of Earthsea. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.